9.30 and 11. So, Lord willing, that's kind of where we are. And um, if things change, we will let you know. I do want to say this. If for some reason you are watching online and not a member of our Facebook, uh, First Baptist Church of Ocean Way members page, please do so. That's the best way for us to be able to get a hold of you and get, get information out there. And I uh, want to encourage you in that. So, with all of that said, if you have your Bibles today, and I trust that you do. If not, I, I believe the verses will be on the screen as well. But we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And welcome to week 7 of our Galatians series, Freedom in the In-Between. And we have been looking at this picture of freedom as Paul just kind of dissects it and lays it before us. And in the middle of Galatians, Paul took a few chapters to discuss the law and its place in a believer's life, even tracing it back to Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, all the while showing the beauty of grace over law. And then beginning in chapter 5, Paul shows us that the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for spiritual growth. And it's a familiar passage that we come to today and where Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. Yet the problem with familiar passages is oftentimes we know them, so they go in one ear and, and out the other. And we can miss what's actually being taught to us or what's actually being laid before us. So today I pray that the Word of God um, that we are going to examine and, and see would allow us to examine our lives by this text and come to see whether we are living in the freedom that Christ has earned for us or whether we like many in the Galatian church have, have turned back, turned back to our old lives, turned back to the world, turned back to some other system. For you see, there is a war between the flesh and the spirit that is taking place in all of our lives, a war between our status as slaves to sin or free in Christ. There's a war that's happening even right now. And unfortunately for many Christians, the Holy Spirit is a mystery. The Father, God the Father we know, God the Son we know, but what about the Holy Spirit? Few believers understand who He is, why He came, what He does in our world. Fewer still understand, and follow with me here, fewer understand the vital, crucial, fundamental, essential, indispensable, necessary, urgent, critical, radical role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives even today. I don't think I'm going overboard in saying that a proper knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the fruit He longs to bring in our lives, a proper knowledge of that is absolutely essential to finding peace, joy, and even victory in the Christian life. Many believers live far below their potential because they haven't discovered the Holy Spirit, what He does. They know nothing of His power, His indwelling, His intercession, even His gifts. I think of the book, Forgotten God, written by Francis Chan. It was speaking of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, the forgotten one. But in this book, Francis Chan writes this, There is a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers and churches operate today. In many modern churches, you would be stunned by the apparent absence of the Spirit in any manifest way. And this, I believe, is the crux of the problem. 
If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened, and I would argue that it is a prolific disease in the body of Christ, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in church. We understand something very important is missing. The feeling is so strong that some have run away from the church completely. And then he says this, I believe that the missing something in the church is actually a missing someone. Namely, the Holy Spirit. Without Him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. Without the Spirit of God, we are operating in our own strength, our own ability, our own power, and we are only accomplishing what we can accomplish. Oh, to God that he would awaken us to his spirit's work in our lives and in his church and that we would see God-sized things happening among us. So to give a little bit more direction of where we're going today, J. Vernon McGee states this of Galatians 5, especially verses 16 through 26 where we're going to be. We are not to challenge and envy one another. We could just stop there and talk about that just a little bit. We are to get down from our high chairs and start walking in the, in the Spirit. Let me say that again. We are to get down from our high chairs and start walking in the Spirit. The Christian life is not a balloon ascension with some great overpowering experience of soaring to the heights. Rather, it is a daily walk. It's a matter of putting one foot ahead of the other in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That is the Christian life. We're walking one step at a time depending upon the Spirit of God in us. So let's now turn to the Word of God and dive into a freedom that allows us to truly live. We're going to look at verses 16 through 26 together. And Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires... Of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not enter the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another let's pray father just speak to us today by your word through your spirit holy spirit speak holy spirit move have your way in jesus name amen 
here's what we know. It is possible, especially if you have children, it's possible to coerce and even force someone to do something, but yet that action, in order for it to be meaningful or even fulfilling, it has to be done by a person who wants to do it. So it's possible to coerce and yet not have a willing heart. And this is the key difference between behavior modification that many seek after and an actual change of heart produced by the Spirit of God in the life of, of a believer. Behavior modification versus heart change is exactly what Paul is trying to get at when we come to Galatians chapter 5, especially concerning the fruit of the Spirit of God being produced um, in our lives and through our lives. Let me say this, what we do certainly matters. It matters what we do, but why we do what we do matters more. Why we do what we do. So I want to lay this morning three truths related to our life of freedom in the Spirit before us today. Truth number one, number one is this, we are living out the desires of the Spirit. We're living out the desires of the Spirit. So what are we to say about walking by the Spirit? Is it mystical? Yes. Is it mysterious? Yes. Something impo or something only possible for a few select super Christians? No. Can this be the reality of every single child of God? Yes. Before we were saved, our sinful nature was there, ruling, unopposed, alone, unchecked. But things have changed in our lives. That's why Paul writes in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in verse 17 he says, For the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. When we read in the Old Testament, we read about people who walked with God. And when it says they walked with God, what it really means is that they ordered their lives according to God's commands. That they order their lives in a way that was and is consistent with the character of God. To walk by the Spirit is to live under the controlling influence of the Spirit. And in dependence upon Him as, get this, we make the Holy Spirit's aim our aim. And what is the aim of the Holy Spirit? To make us more like Jesus. That's the point. For you see, the power of the Holy Spirit was even central in the life of Jesus. Just think about His life. He was conceived by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit descended upon Him at His baptism. He was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. He returned in or to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit to preach the gospel, to heal, to deliver people from demonic bondage. He spoke of the need to be born again of the Spirit. He promised the gift of the Spirit to true disciples. He breathed on them after His resurrection and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was engulfed in the Spirit of God and did all things through dependence upon the Spirit's power. And that same Spirit is now indwelling in us. But does He lead us? Or do other desires lead us? Are we living like nothing supernatural has happened in our lives? Are we living in that way? Are we going back to the old desires, the old ways? There's a story of 
Even though Japan had surrendered to the Allies in 1945, ending World War II, one soldier, Hiro Anada, held out like a hermit in uniform for decades. With, dwindle, with a dwindling band of men under his command, Onada camped out in the jungles of the Philippines, waging war on the local population until 1974, when his Japanese commander finally came to inform him he could stop fighting and released him from his military duties. Get this, Onada spent th almost 30 years fighting a war that was over. What was Onada doing? He was obeying his last orders to continue fighting and not die. Unknowingly, he was failing to face reality, or rather, he was living in light of an old reality. He was fighting a battle that had already been settled. And many Christians live the same way. When we desire the things of the flesh, we are living according to an old reality. A reality that according to the word of God has been overturned, has been canceled, has been crucified. When we engage in unrepentant sin, as Paul writes in verse 16, gratifying the desires of the flesh, we are like this Japanese soldier living according to an old reality. In essence, we have forgotten who we are and we're no longer walking according to the spirit. And there are many Many in the Christian world who do not follow the Spirit's guidance because they don't recognize it. They don't understand. Walking in the Spirit, yes, it can be a frustrating mystery, but it doesn't have to be. If we are to walk by the Spirit, get this, we need to spend time being quiet and listening to Him. Let me say something that maybe rubbed you the wrong way, and if it does, it's a good thing. God is more concerned with you hearing him than him hearing you. Most of us, we spend our days thinking we're good because we prayed a two-minute prayer to God, so therefore we're good. We're, we're good in that, but have you heard from him? God knows what you ask before you even ask him, but are you listening to God? Are you hearing what he has to say? We need to spend time being quiet and listening to Him. We have to remember that God wants us to know Him. He wants us to obey Him. He wants to communicate with us. And as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in the Word, truly listening, we find Him. Finally, if we were to walk in the Spirit, we're to follow His leading. We're to go where the Spirit leads us. When we walk by the Spirit, we, our lives will change. It has to change because the desires of the flesh and walking by the Spirit are going in two opposite directions. Or let me put it differently, two opposite directions. It ha if, we're, if we're going away from living by the flesh and walking by the Spirit, our lives must change. They have to change. So let us live out the desire of the Spirit. But then secondly, we are living under the leading of the Spirit. We're living under the leading of the Spirit. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice that Paul doesn't use the word here, follow. Now we talk about following Christ a lot. That's the key to disciple making. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. But Paul doesn't use that word in this case. Instead of saying follow, he says, if you are led by the Spirit. 
We're not just following the Spirit of God. We're being personally led by the Spirit. For us, the Holy Spirit is not directing us like a police officer directs traffic. The Holy Spirit is not just standing in the road going, you know, doing all that. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is not like an air traffic controller from a distance directing all the ways of our lives. That's the difference between being led and being directed. The Holy Spirit is leading us. He's guiding us. He's always with us for he is in us. In the words of one pastor, the Holy Spirit is not a leader like a pace car at the Daytona 500. He is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our own strength. We are led by his power. And let me just add this. We're led willingly. We're led willingly, which begs the question, I think, for all of us this morning, regardless of where, where you are, is the Holy Spirit the missing someone in your life? If God were to have withdrawn the Holy Spirit from your life this past week, would your life have looked any different? Would, would your week have gone any different if the Holy Spirit were not with you? For many of us, the answer is, I don't know. And maybe it's because we're not depending on the Holy Spirit like we're supposed to. And now think about that phrase that Paul throws, throws in here. You are not under the law. You're not under the law. Now this doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want to do. As I say all the time, it's not like we become Christians and God says, okay, we're going to throw the Ten Commandments out and you can do whatever you want. You can live however you want. That's not the picture. I read an example or, or an illustration this week that really, I believe, gives a clear picture of what it means not to live under the law. It's a story of the Transcontinental Railroad, the railroad that connected the eastern half of the country with the western half, making it possible, of course, to cross the Rocky Mountains without extended and difficult travel. It made the west easily accessible to people in the east and vice versa. It was finished in the late 1800s after they laid 1,900 miles of track in a period of seven years. Just think about the work that had to go into that. Primarily Chinese and Irish immigrants were used to lay these tracks and they were paid but very, very, very poor wages. They worked under harsh conditions. Because they were crossing the Rocky Mountains, those train tracks went from an elevation of zero to about 7,000 feet over the course of 25 miles. So these men were doing some very hard things. Some of them were losing their lives. They were dying of heat exhaustion. They were getting arms and legs broken and cut off. These men were sacrificing their lives and their health to build the railroad system. And you have, you've got to think that at some point they hated what they did. It was a burden to them. Imagine getting at a point in a desert and looking across as far as you can see and say, okay, we just got to get there. And once you've gotten there, you realize you've got that much more still to go. The thing had to be a burden. However, once it was completed, it was considered the greatest technological or the greatest engineering feat of the 19th century, especially in this country. Once the railroad was complete, people loved it. They sailed across the tracks in luxury. It was enjoyable. It was an adventure. 
Yet, it all depends on what perspective you're looking at when it comes to those train tracks. To the patrons, those tracks were a delight. Yet, to the workers, it was a burden. And I think it's the way we look at the law as well. Before the law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ, it was a burden to us. It was heavy. We died in our sin trying to fulfill the law. But Christ came and he completely, perfectly fulfilled the law, laying down his life to make a much better way than just crossing the Rockies. He's made a way from earth to heaven. That's what he has done for us. Because he was burdened with our sin and death, we are able to take this journey with joy. And although the Spirit, the Holy Spirit might lead us into trials, the Holy Spirit might lead us into difficulties, hear this, the Holy Spirit will never lead us into sin. Will never lead us into sin. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Then Paul lays it out, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul gives us 16 characteristics here. Unlike the fruit of the Spirit that we're about to talk about in just a second, these have been called the decaying fruit of the flesh. They're what happens in our lives when we give ourselves over to the flesh. The first three are sexual. The next two deal with corrupted religion that comes out of a depraved heart. We talk about idolatry and sorcery. Then eight words that describe relational conflicts. And then finally, three words that relate to indulgences. Listen, it's it's certainly easier to diagnose a thousand sins of someone else than to deal with one sin of our own. We know that. We're we're really, really good at diagnosing the sin of other people, right? We're really good at diagnosing the problems of others. What we're really bad at is diagnosing our own and thinking about where we are. It's a lot easier to highlight the more obvious and glaring failures of others than than to deal with the little sins that we have in our lives. But Paul here is having none of that. In his list of the works of the flesh, he left no room for big sin versus small sin or culturally acceptable sins or unacceptable sins. All sin, according to Paul, is unbecoming to the cause of Jesus Christ. And it's all indulging in appetites of the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit. Think of it like this. The Spirit leads us into the kingdom. The flesh leads us away from the kingdom. Therefore, follow the leading of the Spirit and you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. We are living under the leading of the Spirit. And then lastly, we are living with the evidence of the Spirit. We're living with the evidence of the Spirit. Look at verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That word but, you should circle it or underline it. It is a striking term of 
contrast. And what's being contrasted here is two powers at work in the life of every person or every believer. One, a natural power, and the other, a supernatural power. And Paul says here, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. We can't separate these things out. And this probably points to the fact that all of these virtues that we see here collectively make up Christ-likeness. So the fruit of the Spirit as a whole is basically, get this, a character sketch of Jesus. And what's the Spirit of God doing in us? Making us, conforming us into the image of Jesus, who perfectly embodied love and every other virtue mentioned. So this is a picture of us becoming more and more like Christ. The first three are Godward qualities, love, joy, peace. The second three are otherward qualities, patience, kindness, goodness. The last three are selfward qualities, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then Paul writes this, and I've always considered this as kind of a throwaway line without ever thinking about it or even looking into it. Paul says, and against such there is no law. Now what does that mean? Here's what it means. Laws are normally passed against sinful or harmful acts. No one would think about passing a law against love or joy or peace or goodness or patience or any of those things. We need those things. You don't pass a law against those things. But think about what the Spirit is doing. I've heard it said that some Christians approach spiritual growth like stapling roses to a dead rose bush. If you have a dead rose bush, you don't fix it by stapling roses to it. In the same way, you don't and you won't grow spiritually by trying to add love or joy or peace to your life. No, you're only going to grow spiritually by driving your roots deeper into Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we know. Bearing fruit is natural for fruit trees. Fruit trees don't have to strain to produce fruit. You never find a grove of apple or peach trees attending a conference on how to bear fruit. Nor do you find fruit trees manipulating one another or browbeating one another with words trying to convince each other to bear fruit. No, the most natural thing in the world is for a fruit tree to bear fruit fruit. Yet for us, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's something that God does in us and through us. And get this, our growth might not be, um, our growth might be, might be gradual. It might take place over a long period of time, but our growth is inevitable. There will be growth. The power and the beauty within us will come out. The question for the believer is, do you see the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life? Do you see the growth of fruit, all the fruit of Christ's likeness in your life? Now, here's what we do. We go, well, yeah, I'm good at this. I'm good at love and, and joy and peace, but I, I'm not good at patience. Or, and what we're doing is, here's what we're saying. I'm living based on my own self, my own power, my own strength without the Holy Spirit's doing, and here's what I'm good at. That's not living in the Spirit. 
If you live in the Spirit, you'll see all of these things growing in your life. And when they're not growing in your life, the Spirit of God will check you so that they can continue to grow more in your life. Let me end with the last two verses and an amazing illustration that shows us the beauty of what Christ has done for us. And those two verses are uh, Galatians beginning at verse 24 and just 25. And it says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There is a war going on within us. But brother and sister, you can, you can believe this. The Holy Spirit will win. The Holy Spirit will win. John Piper, Pastor John Piper, has an interesting yet powerful way of, of explaining and illustrating what it means to crucify the flesh. And here's what he writes. Picture your flesh that old ego with the mentality of craving for power, reputation, and self-reliance, picture it as a dragon living in some cave in your soul. Then you hear the gospel, and in it, Jesus Christ comes to you and says, I will make you mine and take possession of the cave and slay the dragon. Will you yield to my possession? It will mean a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. And you say, but that dragon is in me, I will die. And Jesus says, yes, and you will rise to newness of life, for I will take its plan. I will make my mind and my will and my heart your own. You say, what must I do? And he answers, trust me and do as I say. As long as you trust me, you cannot lose. Overcome by the beauty and power of Christ, you bow and swear eternal loyalty and trust. As you rise, Jesus puts a great sword in your hand and says, follow me. He leads you to the mouth of the cave and he says, go in and slay the dragon. But you look at him bewildered and say, I cannot, not without you. To which Jesus smiles and says, well said. You learn quickly. Never forget my commands for you to do something are never commands to do it alone. Hear that again. Christ's commands to do something are never commands to do it alone. Then you enter the cave together. A horrible battle follows and you feel Christ's hand on yours. At last, the dragon lies limp and you ask, is it dead? And his answer is this, I have come to give you new life. This you received when you yielded to my possession and swore faith and loyalty to me. And now with my sword and my hand, you have felled the dragon of the flesh. It's a mortal wound. It will die. That is certain, but it has not yet bled to death. And it may revive with violent convulsions and do much harm. So you must treat it as dead and seal the cave as a tomb. The Lord of darkness may cause earthquakes in your soul to shake the stones loose, but you build them up again and have this confidence with my sword and my hand on yours. This dragon's doom is sure. He is finished and your new life is secure. 
Christ has taken possession of our souls. Our old self has been dealt a mortal wound and has been stripped of its power and dominion over us. The Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit, is a constant reckoning that the flesh is dead. And let's keep piling stones over its tomb and constantly relying upon the Spirit of God to do in us and through us what we can never do on our own. So what does the Spirit do? According to Scripture, the Spirit comforts the saved. The Spirit convicts the lost. The Spirit reveals truth. Let me ask you this in closing. Are you being comforted in this moment? In the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of a difficult week, in the midst of trials, are you being comforted in this moment? Are you being convicted in this moment? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you over maybe trying to do it on your own, your own self-sufficiency and self-will apart from Him? Have you understood truth today? If you answered affirmative in any of these questions, it means you're being touched right now by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, walk in the Spirit and find freedom to live. Find freedom in Him to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time and thank You for just being able to be in Your Word. In so many places, God, throughout Jacksonville, maybe even further than that, Lord, we pray for those listening online right now, for those in this room, God, just... Holy Spirit, move in our lives. Comfort us where we need to be comforted or convict us where we need to be convicted. Holy Spirit, show us that we can do nothing apart from you. Show us that there is no fruit happening in our lives if we are not depending upon you. If we're not following you and leading and letting you direct us in a personal way. We pray that others see the evidence of the transformation that's taken place in our lives. And if they're not, Lord, help us to, again, submit to you and do what you're calling us to do. Not in our strength, not in our power, not in our might, God, but in yours and yours alone. God, in the midst of a uncertain times, in the midst of a shaking world, we praise you that we have an unshakable confidence. We have a stone, a cornerstone that will not be moved. Just minister. Holy Spirit, now in every life and every home, minister. Work. In Jesus' name, amen.